It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only, call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 931- one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study and welcome into the virtual bible study we're glad you're part of it for september 3rd 2009 welcome into the program my name is jacob gwynn my father greg gwynn is here Jacob, thanks uh, for being with us tonight. Thanks for all our listeners being with us tonight. Looking forward to a good period of Bible study, as always. Uh, we're still having a few technical troubles, and I know that the people who listen to us by just audio stream, uh, I know they're not listening because they can't because we got issues, uh, and so they may pick us up on an archive version of it. We're still working on those problems, and we haven't been able to solve them yet, but we'll keep uh Plugging away. We'll keep working on that, and uh, we are glad that you're watching us on the video feed tonight, and we'd like for you to call in or send us an email, or you can join in the chat room tonight with other listeners who are there to discuss the program with you tonight. We have an interesting topic, and it is a follow-up uh, to what we discussed last week. Jacob, last week on our program, we dealt with an article that's been out on the Internet. We've uh, we've learned that it's been out there for some time. We, we we discovered it recently, but apparently it's been out there for some time. A fellow named David Martin, pastor of the Solid Rock Baptist Church in, in Bartlett, Tennessee, uh, put out uh, a list of questions. There were 13 in all, which he said that uh, the common sense questions that a Church of Christ uh, preacher can't answer so we went about answering his questions last week. I'm sure we're not, in fact, I know for a fact we're not the first ones who ever answered his questions. Uh, but we dealt with that last week on our program. What we thought we'd do this week is compose some questions for him, questions for a Baptist preacher that we think he can't answer. And then what we're planning to do, although I'm not sure it'll reap much uh, results, what we're planning to do is send David Martin links to both of the programs and invite him to come on the program at a future date and talk with us in person, if he will. Uh, I'm not sure that that will happen, but if it does, we'd be glad for it. Um, and so our topic this week is a follow-up to last week. We tried to answer the questions he posed to us. I think we were able to do so. What we want to do this week is pose questions to him that I think will give him some real difficulty. Earlier today to our update list, we sent out uh, a message concerning what we'd be talking about and we ask for our participants to send us questions for the Baptist preacher. State the question and briefly offer an explanation as why you think Baptists would have trouble or be challenged in answering these kinds of questions. So we're gonna we're gonna offer some of our own, and we're gonna pose some to uh, that, that our listeners are offering. Um, and I think it's a it's a worthwhile uh, exercise, even if we don't get any response from David Martin. I think it's a worthwhile exercise that we can uh, think about these things that constitute major doctrinal differences between what we believe the Bible teaches and what our friends in the Baptist Church teach and believe. All right. We'd like for you to participate in the program. 877-381-4567. Questions at College View. Dot com as we talk about questions that you'd like to ask a Baptist, and hopefully you are in effect asking him because we hope that David Martin will be 
listening to this program, and we are going to invite him to come and uh, answer your questions, hopefully, if he'd be willing to defend his position. Uh, So we would encourage you to jump in now and get your questions registered on the program tonight. Lots of uh, good questions so far that our listeners have contributed. Jacob, as we said last week, we want to we want to maintain a good demeanor and a proper attitude in all such discussions, even when we disagree. I think there are still rules of conduct that the Bible sets forth that we're obligated to live by. Our friend Mike up in Indiana apparently has has already in the past tried to make some contact with David Martin and has been rebuffed in the process of it. And apparently his uh, uh, his attitude or some some of the some of the way he expressed himself. Uh, uh, is, is a little bit rough, and we're not going to do that. Uh, and I, I hope if we can get David Martin to join us on the program, he wouldn't do that either. That's not going to stop us. We're not going to be deterred by that. But uh, for our part, it's important to us to maintain a proper attitude and respectful demeanor, as even when we discuss things with people that we disagree about. You, you said that Mike has tried to contact David, yeah. and he's gotten turned down yeah. Yeah. somewhat uh, yeah. uncordially. Right. I well, think that's, that's, that's unfortunate uh, because uh, the truth has nothing to to hide, and uh, and uh, we're simply after the truth, and we hope that uh, David. I think Martin that's a good. Well. I think that's a good observation. If we've got the truth, we certainly don't object to people asking us about it. Uh, and if we're wrong, and we find out we're wrong, that'd be a good thing too. So I mean, there's nothing to lose from discussing our differences. If it turns out we we have a difference with someone, and we're wrong then we'd, we'd be the beneficiaries of being corrected. On the other hand, if they're wrong, they'd be the beneficiaries, and we all benefit in such a process. All right, 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. Jump in on the program tonight. As we ask questions of a Baptist, uh, what would you like to ask a Baptist? Let's just start in with some of them that we've got an email. We're, we're looking for your email. Uh, please send us a message uh, and Give us an email. You can call us. You can send us an email. You can get in the chat room and talk. So uh, let us know. Our, our friend Randy up in Jackson, Missouri, sent a couple. Uh, the first one is, if we're all baptized into one baptism, Ephesians 4, verse 5, why do Baptist churches require rebaptism when a person switches churches or comes from another denomination? Now, I'm not exactly sure the practice of the Baptist on that, Jacob, but I think Randy is correct. In other words, if I was going to go from one Baptist church to another in order to be admitted into the membership of that other congregation, then I'd be expected to be baptized in as into the membership of that local organization. Uh, I don't think there's any Bible for that. It's based upon a what I think is a misunderstanding of the purpose of baptism. Baptists obviously practice baptism. It's not for the remission of sins, uh, but it is, it's indicative of their um, confession of faith. They believe that they confess their faith and they, they are baptized in order to show that they are a believer in Jesus Christ. But baptism is for admission into a local congregation. And so, uh, I think Randy's question is a good one. If I wanted to, if I wanted to come, uh, let's say that I'm a Baptist, that I'm a Baptist who is in, uh, agreement with the things that, uh, David Martin preaches. I'm in agreement with his positions, but I'm not a member of his local congregation. If it would be expected for me to be baptized again, to be admitted in membership of that, how, do, how does that jive with the idea that we are baptized into uh, one body? Exactly right. And uh, well, that's an important verse that Randy references. There is one baptism. And so um, we need to understand that because 
there are a lot of people who are confused and say there are multiple baptisms, and uh, certainly the Baptists seem to be confused on that as well. Well, you know, uh, in fact, uh, in addition to the fact that we're baptized into one body, Ephesians ch- chapter 4 says that there is only one baptism. Uh, Ephesians 4, verse 4, there's one body and one spirit, even as you're calling one hope, you're calling one faith, one Lord, one baptism, one Lord and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. And so the one baptism, if I've already submitted to it and it's the proper one, why would I need to be baptized again to be a member of a local Baptist Seems church? It's like they're creating their own and uh, what they put some their own stipulations on uh, on the baptism that they want. I think that, that is a question. That's a worthy question. So number one, there's your question. Number one, why would I need to be baptized again in order to be identified as a member of a specific local Baptist church? Question two that Randy offers is one that we're hearing more about, and it's not limited to Baptists, but Baptists are definitely taking this position, and that's the idea that the King James Bible is the only Bible that God protected or preserved down through the ages. We all ought to be using the King James Bible, and I use the King James Bible as what I grew up on. It's what I like. It's what it sounds normal to me. I think it's a good translation. I don't think it's the only Worthy translation. Yeah, there but, were some there were some key indicators in David Martin's article that leads you to believe he he holds the King James only version. Uh, I think he does, position. from what I've read too. Uh, and if he doesn't, if he doesn't, then then just ignore this question. But if he does, like some do, and I know there's some Baptists too, and there's some in other denominations that do as well, believe that the King James Bible is the only Bible that God's protected as authentic through the centuries. And then, so so Randy's question is, if that's true, what are the Chinese supposed to do? Of course, you could multiply that. What's people who 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 speak seven hundred different languages? What are they supposed to do if the King James English version of the Bible is the only version that God has protected and maintained through the centuries, free from error or flaw? Uh, what are others supposed to do? I believe it's a false position. The King James version is a decent translation. It's a good one. I think it, it, I think it has much to commend it. But it's not the only one that's worthy of consideration for study. They are all translations translated by fallible men, and therefore we've got to be on our guard. We've got to see to it that the translators who translated the specific translations that we're studying from use good principles of scholarship in order to do it. They were working with good documents, the manuscripts and so forth that they were translating from the original languages. They worked as a team so that there were checks and balances between them. So that their scholarship was being checked by one another. They were and in that sense they would be very careful because they don't want someone looking over their shoulder pointing out their errors. It's it's very important to have a team of scholars working in any translation. And you can find that out. You can research different translations and find out the principles they used. Uh, furthermore it's necessary that the translators use an approach wherein they're looking for uh, a literal translation, not not some kind of uh, paraphrased uh, version or something like that. So there's several rules that we'd want to apply to make sure that we're looking at a, a worthy English translation. But none of them are perfect. None of them are inspired by God. King James, while good, is not flawless. We've pointed out before, Jacob, one one simple example of the fact that the King James is not flawless is in Acts chapter 12. And in Acts chapter 12 at verse 4, the word Easter is in the King James Version of the New Testament. Easter is not in the original text. That, word, is, not, that is not in the original text. It's supposed Greek. to be Passover. And they, okay. and they put Easter in there for the very purpose of trying to accommodate the observance of a, 
of a Christian holiday that is not authorized in the scriptures. And they put the word Easter there instead of Passover. It, and it proves that they weren't perfect or flawless. And again, I'm saying the King James is a good translation, but it's not perfect. None of them are perfect. They're all translated by fallible men. Therefore, we've got to be aware of that. But the King James is not a somehow a flawless translation that God has predicted. Now, I believe that God has... Let me go further on that, Jay. I believe that God has protected his word and kept it alive. You know, he promised that he would. He promised that his word would never pass away. And we believe that he has been working through the ages to make sure that that, in fact, uh, has taken place. Um, He said, uh, uh, well, I was going to quote a verse and I've I've lost it. I don't have it. Uh, but, But he has promised... Uh, well, for instance, First Peter chapter one, verse twenty-four: All flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof fadeth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. God's not going to let the word pass away. We believe that. We believe that He's been carefully working to make sure that we have reliable and accurate versions of His word that we can read and study. And and we believe that that's happening and has happened, but the King James is not uh, the sole benefactor of that process. All right. Uh, we'll take a break, and we'll continue with questions for Baptists that you'd like to ask. And if you've got any questions, get in now. We look forward to hearing from you. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. Hello, everyone. I'm Britt Haynes. I'm a member of the College View Church of Christ. A lot of people in the religious world today tell us that as long as our heart is right and we truly love God, we can do whatever we want in our service to Him. They say that what we do doesn't matter because God is only interested in our heart. I believe they have it all wrong. True, God is interested in our hearts, but He's also interested in our actions. One reason why is because our actions describe the true condition of our heart. This is what Jesus taught in Matthew 12, verse 34, when he said, For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. So I believe that if we are doing whatever we want to in our service and are not serving God exactly like he has asked, then our heart is not right before God. The members of the College View Church of Christ are committed to making sure that both our hearts and our actions are pleasing to God. If you're interested in doing the same, we encourage you to join us for worship this Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. My name is Jack Coleman, a member of the College View Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study, and we hope you'll tell others about the program. We're always open to your feedback concerning topics for discussion and suggestions as how we can make the program more effective. Drop us a line at questions at collegeview.com or call us toll-free at 877-381-4567. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. And welcome back to the virtual Bible study tonight. Our streaming provider has sent in a message during the break, and he says that we are up and running on the audio-only feed. And so if you are on the audio-only feed, we would encourage you to let us know that you're able to hear us. You can send us an email, questions at collegeview.com. Or better yet, if you're hearing us and we're sparking some thought, if you're listening on the audio feed or watching us on the video feed, send us your comments uh, over the phone. Give us a call. And we'll let you be on the program with us tonight. Or you can join in the chat room. And other listeners are chatting there. So go and join in on the chat room. We're talking about questions that you'd like to ask a Baptist. What would be some questions that you'd like to pose to a Baptist? We will pose these questions 
to a Baptist, specifically David Martin, in the coming week, and we hope that he will uh, be kind enough to respond to these questions that uh, we would like to have answered. We've responded to his questions. We would like for him to return the favor and respond to ours, and uh, we would invite him to come on the program next week, uh, hopefully, and uh, we would be kind to him and give him as much time as he needs uh, to answer our questions. 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. All right, we got we got more questions from uh, our uh, listeners, and Jim in Kansas City has written well near Kansas City uh, has written in and said, um, "I've never heard it explained why they have a creed book such as the Hiscox Baptist Manual. I assume this fellow, this man, follows the precepts of that book. Uh, if not, the question would not be valid." Uh, but if he does, it would be interesting to see if he would commit to defend all of its precepts. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. We'll just leave that one hanging, Jacob. Uh, I believe that the, the Bible is, is complete and full and sufficient and provides everything that we need. And therefore, we wouldn't need a man-made manual of any kind to direct the affairs of the church or to teach the truth. In Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says, According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. We don't need any extra creed book. Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished, or equipped for every good work. We've got everything that we need in the scriptures. We do not need Hiscox Baptist Manual. Here's another way to look at it, Jacob. Paul said in Galatians 1, verses 8 and 9, Though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you. Let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that that ye have received, let him be accursed. So look at it this way. If the manual is different than the Bible, it's to be accursed. So if it's more than the Bible... It's to be accursed. If it's less than the Bible, it's to be accursed. If it's the same as the Bible, we've already got the Bible, and we don't need that. And so it just it, it, there's no purpose in it. Uh, if, if it's used as an authoritative guide for the conduct of Baptist churches, if they have a creed, any creed book, whether it's Hiscox or others, then we would argue that that's not true to the Scriptures. I saw a church in Nashville recently who, who has on their website posted a constitution uh, where they have made up the rules for the congregation, and uh, they're putting them forth as law, labeling them as a constitution. Again, we'd ask, where's the authority for that? Why do you feel that the Word of God is inadequate and insufficient for the needs of us to give us the instructions that we should be living by? 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. All right, well, we'll just keep going through these emails. We've got several more coming in. Uh, we, we want to hear from you. If you've got a question, maybe you have not had the privilege uh, to inquire of a Baptist preacher uh, or talk with him, try to get answers. Send us your question, what you'd like to ask a Baptist preacher, and we're going to try to present these to David Martin of the Solid Rock Baptist Church and uh, see if we can get an answer from him. But if you've never had the, the opportunity and never uh, been able to pursue that, let us know uh, what your questions would be. We've got a question from Jeffrey, and I'm not sure, Jacob, where Jeffrey is located. Um, he says, my question is, where in the Bible are the instructions for praying the sinner's prayer? That's a pretty good question. You can look high and low, and you'll never see a reference to a sinner's prayer. 
You know, they're all they all pretty much quote the same wording. You know, you would almost think that you could go to a scripture and read it as as uh, wrote as it is recited uh, by the Baptist. You know, it almost is word for word the same prayer they tell you to pray, but you can't find it in the scriptures. Yeah, you if if there is such a prayer, we we certainly would think we could find it in the scriptures. But even more basic than that, we'd at least think that you'd find instructions in the New Testament about doing it. And there's not any instructions. Where someone it. said, I'm a sinner, what do I need to do? And they were, he was told to pray. Well, that's what, they, that's what the Baptist answers. Was, well, say the sinner's prayer and you'll be saved. But nowhere in the scriptures do we have anyone being told to pray when they realize their lost condition. In fact, in fact, we can go to the case of Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus and we find out that he was praying. He prayed after he saw the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus. Uh, let's just go to Acts 9 and read just a part of that. Uh, it says in verse 3, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined around about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Now, so he went into Damascus. It says, Saul wrote, verse 8, Saul rose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. Now, there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. And so he was praying. Now, wait a minute. We've got a fella who previously didn't believe in Jesus, but he saw him on the road to Damascus and he became a believer, right? So he's a believer. He believed. He called him Lord. Lord, what will they have me to do? So we've got a believer and he's told, Go into the city. It'll be told thee what thou must do. In, in the interim... He's praying, a believer praying. So Ananias goes to him. What did Ananias tell him to do? Well, when Paul retells this story in Acts 22, at verse 16, when Ananias came to him, he said, Now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So a believer who was praying, and he still was in his sins, and they needed to be washed away. So the prayer didn't save him. A prayer of faith didn't save him. Now, I suppose the only argument you could make is that he didn't know the right words to say. He was praying, but he didn't know the right words to say. Now, if that's the problem, we've all got the same problem because the words are not specified in the New Testament. We just we just take him blind luck. Okay. Uh, if if we're supposed to pray a prayer to be saved, it's not specified in the New Testament. Paul was praying; it didn't save him. And so, what are we supposed to do? We're we're in bad shape. If that is the method of salvation, how are we going to get there? All right, it's a good question to ask because it is a common thing that is taught. Uh, what, what about the sinner's prayer? 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. We would encourage your comments and your questions tonight, and uh, we hopefully will help be able to pose those to David Martin and ask for his answer. Okay. All right, uh, the next question comes from Aaron. Aaron is in Texas, Texas now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Aaron sends in and says, in John 9, verse 7, Jesus told a blind man to go wash in the pool of Siloam. He went and washed and came back seen. Did he really have to go wash, or would it have been enough simply to believe and go wash sometime later? When did the healing occur? 
when uh, when he did what he was told to do, does that mean that he was healed through his own works or, does, or through the grace of God? When he later gave credit to Jesus for the healing in verse 30, should he have given the credit to himself instead? Or did he understand that he wasn't healed by his own works even though he was required to obey when he, before he was healed? Good question. So what, what Aaron's driving at there is, did the fact that he went and washed in the pool, did that constitute the fact that he healed himself by virtue of his works? Or what I, I know what Aaron's pointing out there is, here's a case of a person who received a blessing from God. By the grace of God, he was healed, but he still had to meet certain conditions to have that healing. And that's what we're saying about our obedience to the gospel, including baptism for the remission of sins. That does not negate the fact that we're saved by God's grace. It simply constitutes a condition that he that that he has placed upon receiving that gift. It's a gift. You know, sometimes uh, we've got a young man uh, in the uh, studio with us tonight named Junior. If I told Junior, Junior, if you'll come to my house tomorrow, I'll give you $100. I don't do that, Junior, because I don't have a hundred to give you. But if I did say that, you would understand that you had to come to my house to get it. But it, you you would still say if you if later the, in the day you would say, I want you to know what Greg gave me. You you didn't earn it by coming to my house. You'd still consider it a gift. It was a condition that you got to get a if you want the hundred dollars, you've got to come to my house. That's a condition, but it doesn't negate the fact that it's still a gift when I give it to you. We understand that in the world today with giveaways and uh, and contests, you know, the grand opening. Uh, they, they'll be maybe drawing uh, uh, names out of a hat at the grand opening of the store down the street. But you had to be there. You had to fill out the card. You have to give them your information. They put your name in a box, and uh, and then you win. You didn't earn it by going down there to the store, but it was a gift. From the store. Okay, so repeat the question, the basic question, Jacob. In this in this example of the man at the pool of Siloam, he came, he went, he washed, came back, seen. Did he really have to go wash, or would he have been enough just simply to believe? Would have been enough to believe. Up, 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 number up. one, when the healing did occur, uh, when he did what was, uh, when did the healing occur? When he told, was told what to, to do, uh, uh, or when he did what he was told to do? Uh, does that mean that he was healed through his own works or through the grace of God? When he later gave credit to Jesus for the healing in verse 30, should he have given credit to himself instead, or did he understand that he wasn't healed by his own works, even though he was required to obey before he was healed? He goes on. With regard to being healed, Jesus told several different people that their faith was responsible, Luke 8:48 and Luke 17, verse 19, for example. Does that mean that they were healed at the moment they believed, or did they have to act on their faith? At what point in time did the healing occur? If it didn't happen at the moment they believed, what was it waiting for? Good question. Yeah. He goes on. So so in these examples, what Aaron's paralleling is those instances when Jesus healed people while he was here on earth with this question of salvation. All right. He goes on. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30, the Bible says the walls of Jericho fell down by faith. Did they fall down at the moment Israel believed, or did they wait until Israel had done what they were told to do? If Israel had to obey, how is it they fell down by faith? They fell by faith, but the Israelites had to meet the conditions of God in order for him to do that for them. In the Old Testament, I also believe it says that it was given to them by grace. The, the, the walls fell down by grace as well. So by grace through faith, but it still required obedience. Okay. And then uh, he says, I hope it's obvious that these aren't really questions about healing or about walls, but about what it means for something, salvation, for example, to be attributed to faith. The point is that a thing can be attributed to grace and faith without excluding a requirement for the recipient to meet some condition to claim it. I think that's a good argument. 
Aaron's right on the mark there showing. And I, I don't think that David Martin or anybody else could deny that in those instances when people receive those healings, they had to meet the conditions that were put upon them. When, when the walls of Jericho fell down, the Israelites had to meet the conditions that were put upon them. But it does not at all negate the fact that God was graciously providing a blessing to them, a, a gift. Uh, and they didn't earn it, and their work didn't accomplish it, but it was still necessary for them to be obedient. I think good observations. Thank you, Aaron. All right. Thank you, Aaron, for that. And we look forward to your comments. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. We continue on the other side of the break. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. Someone has observed one disadvantage of having nothing to do is that you can't stop and rest. Well said. There are too many lazy people in our society who need to learn that lesson. There are also some folks in the Lord's church that need to learn this principle. It also applies spiritually. The scriptures give us this promise. Quote, I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. Revelation 14, verse 13. Rest from our labors is what we've been promised, but some Christians need to ask, What labors have I been engaged in? Have I been faithful in attendance? Have I shown my love for God and encouraged my brethren by attending every service, including Sunday and Wednesday night? Have I tried to teach lost souls what they need to do to be saved? Have I been involved in the various personal work efforts of the local congregation? Can I be counted on to teach classes when needed? Or do I shirk this responsibility, leaving it for others? Do I pitch in and help when the chores of cleaning the building, doing repair work, preparing the communion and so forth need to be done? Or do I simply expect others to get these jobs done for me? Do I gladly serve others, giving rides, visiting the sick, helping the needy, admonishing the weak? Remember, the Lord has promised rest from our labors. But if we're not working now, we don't have anything to be looking forward to. No work, no rest. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Hi, my name is Bob Tidwell, and I want to remind you that the Virtual Bible Study provides a great opportunity to use your computer for something good. So turn off the TV and gather your family around the computer each Thursday night for the Virtual Bible Study. Quit checking your email. The commercials are over, and the Virtual Bible Study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. And welcome back to the Virtual Bible Study tonight. Thank you for being a part of the program. 877-381-4567 is the number to call and it is the number that Mike in Orleans, Indiana, has called. Mike, welcome to the Virtual Bible Study. Hey, guys. Uh, good, to- good to talk to you tonight. Good to hear from you. So uh, uh, we're talking about the questions for a Baptist preacher. Am, am I on the right page? Here? You, 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 are, you are. And I got a message. We referenced a, a message you sent to me earlier. Now, uh, make sure that I'm clear on this. You have tried in the past to make contact with Dave, David Martin of the Solid Rock Baptist Church? Yeah, I did. I did. Uh, I, I'm disappointed that uh, he... He leaves a, an invalid email address on his on his website. There, you know, I, I normally don't pay a lot of attention to uh, to you know. There, there are a lot of things that you know. I don't care if you have the truth or if you if you're teaching error. There's always going to be somebody out there that you know is going to have a web page that, that contradicts what you what you say. So I don't usually get too rattled about things that I see that uh, you know people you know if they want to disagree with me, I'm I'm perfectly fine with that. Um, but it just troubled me that I was trying to find some 
information on the church, and to be honest with you, I don't remember what I was looking for. But every time I tried a different search, I was having a hard time finding whatever it was I was looking for. And I, I kept noticing this web page that came up over and over again. And every time the web page came up, it was, you know, common sense questions that a, a Church of Christ preacher cannot clearly answer. So, so what you're saying is if someone, if some honest person was seeking information about what we believe, unfortunately that website keeps popping up, uh, which is not even accurately representing our positions on much of anything. No, you know, the, the, the very first thing that I wanted to challenge Mr. Martin on was just that, that, that you know, all of our listeners need to, to understand this very clearly, that uh, you can't just say Church of Christ or, or Churches of Christ teach thus and thus. I mean, you, you think of just about any doctrine that exists, and, you know, what most of us would, would say, you know, ideally what the Church of Christ teaches is only what the Bible says. That's the ideal. But, you know, most of us all understand that uh, the Church of Christ, per se, doesn't teach anything. Individuals do. You know, we're not, we're not, we're autonomous, organ, you know, organizations. We, we, we don't have some headquarters someplace that's no. sending out uh, special announcements and edicts and, and dictating what people are, the positions people are supposed to hold on various questions. Now, for the most part, I mean, I, I understand that, you know, I, to all of our Baptist friends who might be listening, I understand that they're individuals and they have the right to teach or believe what they want, but in essence, you know, they have a centralized organization. And so, you know, if they teach too far out of the realm, I, I would imagine, I don't know how that all works, but I would imagine that they would get called on the carpet on some of those things. You know, but it, I just don't think that uh, Mr. Martin really understands what it, what a Church of Christ, you know, that, that's just such a, a misnomer. Yeah. There, there's not, a, you know, there's not one thing. He, he's trying to attack an organization like a denominational concept of the church and that that's you know from the very beginning he just doesn't have the right idea that's exactly right i know that's exactly right mike and i know that you you would uh, be exact have the exact same attitude as as jacob and i do and when we when we speak and teach uh wherever on the virtual bible study or in other efforts that we make we're speaking for ourselves and that's just, exactly right. and and we're ex- trying to explain what we understand the bible to teach but if i taught something it would not be fair for someone to come up there to indiana and tell say well here's what you believe and i know it's so because greg gwynn this is what greg gwynn believes you don't necessarily believe what i believe we we've not, we've we've talked about a lot of things but we haven't talked about everything and you you couldn't sign off and say I'm in complete agreement with Greg Gwynn on everything, and whatever is taught on the virtual Bible study is, is I guarantee it's gospel truth. You couldn't do that, and I wouldn't want you to. Right. Well, you know, Greg, you know, oftentimes we agree on so many things, not because we have a centralized headquarters or, or anything like that. Yeah, you're not. But you and I are both reading the same book, and I, I believe, you know, I, I know you somewhat, and I believe you're reading it with an honest heart. And when a person reads it with an honest heart, and they just go by what the Bible says. We're not going to get off into into applications, you know, and how you might apply a specific verse to your life or something like that, because then we get into the realm of opinion. We're not going to get into man-made creed books and different things like that or what I believe or what my parents have always taught me or what my preacher says or something like that. If we're just going to go strictly by what we can put our, our finger on, book, chapter, and verse, you know, there are some things that are difficult to understand. Even Peter said some of Paul's writings were difficult to understand. Um, and in Second uh, Peter there, he wrote that at the end of the book. So, you know, if it's hard for Peter, and it's an inspired apostle to, uh, apostle to understand, it's going to be hard for me. I'm definitely not inspired. 
And, you know, the one thing that I would say uh, is that, you know, if, if I ever teach anything that is in there, I, I pray constantly that I'll keep a soft and malleable heart that if, if I'm in error, that, number one, I'll have the, the ability to see that I'm in error. And I have, you know, I, I mention that often, that if I'm in error, I'm willing to change. And I really feel like Mr. Martin's website is unfair to me and, and all those who would, you know, consider themselves members of the Church of Christ because it unfairly uh, kind of accuses us of some things. Mr. Martin, you know, just kind of throws this big website out and paints everybody with a great big broad brush and doesn't, you know, doesn't have any, doesn't really seem to show much concern for my soul. If I'm an heir, and if Mr. Martin hears this, I mean, he can contact me. Uh, you know, he, he's uh, just, you know, look me up. My name is Mike Marr, and I'm in Orleans, Indiana, and I'd be happy to discuss this at any, any point in time in the future that he feels up to it. And, in fact, I know that myself and, and a number of others would be up to the challenge of a debate. Should a lot, he want lot to debate of, that? Apparently, a lot of people have challenged him since this, since this article of his has been out there on the Internet for some time. I think he's received a number of challenges. Uh, we'd like him to take up one of those challenges, any one of them. We're going to offer him an, a, an opportunity here on the virtual Bible study. But, you know, at, at some point, if you're going to keep put that out there, you need to step up to the plate and, and, and uh, uh, answer the challenge. Right, right. Yeah, I, th- I think it's unfair to throw an accusation or to throw, you know, throw some of these things at people and not give them an opportunity. Well, you know, uh, just, you know and it is, it is very important. You know, f- for instance, if if I accused you, Mike, of some immoral act, and I put it out there on the internet, you know, Mike, Mike did this or that. Life. Yeah, did this or that. And then I just retreat and just leave that out there on the internet. And you try to contact me, you try to straighten it up. You, you try to say it's not true. There's no, there's no evidence of it. There's no fact. You can't, you know, it's just not, it's not factual. But I just, I just ignore all your pleas. That's not honorable. No, it's not. And I, I just, I feel like it's, it's been unfair. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I guess there, am I only allowed to ask uh, just one question for a, for a Baptist? But we'll give you two, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> series that I would like to ask them, you know, and, and really, if you want to look these up in your own Bible for anybody who's listening, you know, that um, these are just passages that are quoted right out of the Bible, John fifteen fourteen. Did Jesus say, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you? Did he say that? Okay, keep, keep going. He looked that passage up, and he said that. that absolutely, keep Did going. Did Jesus ever at any time command his apostles to teach people, you know, to go out and teach people and tell them to baptize people? Yeah, Matthew 28, 18 and 19, definitely he did. So, you know, the logical conclusion then is is if we're not Christ's friends, you know, he says there, he makes that stipulations, you're my friends if I do whatever I command you. Well, in other words, if you don't do what I command you, you're not my friend. Do we really get the idea that people who aren't Christ's friends are going to be in heaven? Does that make any logical sense? How could it be any clearer, Mike? No, it you know, and, and I, you know, for anybody who's confused about this issue, I just want to close with this thought that sometimes I think we get so tied up on this, this argument about baptism. Folks, I, I want people to hear this. The argument is not about baptism. The argument is about obedience. There you go. Whatever God has told me to do, I am required to be obedient to him. Disobedience is rebelliousness. So if there's a command in the Bible that I know that I need to do, that applies to me today, and I'm rebellious in my attitude, and I flat out refuse to obey that, how can I consider myself to be in good standing with the Lord? Exactly right. So, 
anyway. Good points, Mike. I appreciate it. And uh, I hope we have maybe have a little better luck than you did in getting some response from, from David Martin. But thanks for your input. Mike, well, I, I, you know, and just to say this, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll pray for Mr. Martin. I, I feel like he's lost and he's very confused, and I, I really believe that he he needs help. I mean, he, he really he's lost, and uh, I don't know if he can see that or not, but we just we need to pray for him because uh, he's got some, some attitudes that concern me, and I, I'm, I'm concerned for his his eternal soul. Mike, do you have a valid email address for David? I do. He can contact me at J, just like the book of John, J-N-832 was... at blueriver.net. Well, I was asking if you had a valid email address for him. Oh, yes. Yes, I do. Can yeah. you forward that hey, to hey, us? Yeah, can you send that to me uh, and, and then so we can get these links to him? Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, send me an email, Mike. Thanks. I'll do that. Thanks right. guys. Well, thank you for night. calling. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, 877-381-4567. That line is open now, or send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Mike asked some good questions. I mean, how much clearer could it be? What what would it have to say? If Jesus wanted you to understand that you needed to be baptized in order to be saved, what would he have to say? How much clearer could it be than passages like Mark chapter 15, 16, verses 15 and 16? Yeah. Okay, real quickly, we've got a couple minutes before a break coming up, Jacob. Uh, we got a, we got an email from JT. JT is in Tulsa. I know JT. Been knowing him for years and years. Uh, and he has had a uh, – he, he references a debate. He's had – JT's had a number of debates, but he references a debate with a Baptist preacher named Albert Garner. And, and it was on the question of once in grace, always in grace. And these questions were posed, and he'd like to pose them to David Martin Number one, is the eternal salvation of a child of God saved by the blood absolutely unconditional in in that he is not required to do anything to go to heaven? So is his salvation completely unconditional? He doesn't have to do anything. Is the eternal salvation of a child of God who's saved by the blood absolutely unconditional, not required to do anything? Number two, is it possible for a child of God saved by the blood to commit all the sins listed in Romans 1, 28 through 32 and Galatians 5, 19 through 21 and die without repenting of them and still go to heaven? So that, those, are, those are specific questions that I think Baptists would have huge trouble answering. And the answer that he got in his debate in 1974 was yes to both of those. Yeah. Uh, in fact, many of you who are listening will have heard this quote from a uh, Sam Morris, Bab- pastor of the First Baptist Church in Stamford, Texas. And at the very least, you have to say they're consistent on this once saved, always saved position. Here's what he said. We take the position that a Christian's sins do not damn his soul. The way a Christian lives, what he says, his character, his conduct, or his attitude toward other people have nothing whatever to do with the salvation of his soul. All the prayers a man may pray, all the Bibles he may read, all the churches he may belong to, all the services he may attend, all the sermons he may practice, all the debts he may pay, all the ordinances he may observe, all the laws he may keep, all the all the benevolent acts he may perform, will not make his soul one whit safer, and all the sins he may commit from idolatry to murder will not make his soul in any more danger. The way a man lives has nothing whatever to do with the salvation of his soul. That's uh, Sam Morris, uh, pastor of the First Baptist Church. That quote is taken from a book entitled A Discussion, which involves a subject pertinent to all men. We have to contrast that with the passage that J.T. referenced in his question during his debate. 
Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, beginning, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulation, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in times past, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. What is uh, Sam Morris? What are some of the sins he references? Adultery, murder, murder, idolatry. Idol- well, they're right there in Galatians chapter five, verses nineteen through twenty-one, and it says very clearly, "They which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God." Which way is it? We must know why the Baptists believe that you can commit idolatry, adultery, and murders and inherit the kingdom of God when Galatians chapter 5 verses 19 through 21 says explicitly that you will not. Those are good questions that need to be asked. We want to hear from you. We have 15 minutes to go roughly on the other side of the break as we go to the top of the hour. If you've not gotten your question in yet, get it in during the break. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. I'm Tom Goodall, a member of College View Church of Christ. Do you have a question about what has been said on the virtual Bible study tonight? Perhaps you disagree with something that was said, or would just like more information about what you've heard. If so, we'd love to hear from you. Please contact us with any questions or comments that you might have. Email us at questions at collegeview.com, and we can discuss any of your questions or comments with you privately or over email. Or if you would like to speak with someone in person, call us at 931-381-4567. Our promise to you is that we'll do our very best to give you a Bible answer for anything that we do or teach, and that we will do so in a loving manner. So if you have any questions or comments about our program tonight, or any Bible subject, email us at questions at collegeview.com or call 931-381-4567. Thanks for listening to tonight's virtual Bible study, and we hope to hear from you soon. I'm Arthur Haynes from Kaleoka, Tennessee, and one of my greatest highlights of the week is to listen to the Virtual Bible Study. Use your Internet connection for something good. Listen to the Virtual Bible Study every week. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to the program tonight. We're glad you're a part of it, and we look forward to hearing from you. If you've not joined in yet, the line is open, the email is working, and we'd like to hear your questions. And apparently we're getting out in all means and manners tonight. Everything is clicking along. All the lights are green tonight. All right, good deal. We got an email from Jason. Jason asked this question. This is a question posed to David Morris of the Solid Rock Baptist Church. If And we kind of talked about this earlier, so this is a little bit of a repeat. We stepped on his question earlier when we were talking, Jacob. Here's Jason's question. If Paul's sins were forgiven on the road to Damascus, why is it that after seeing the Lord and fasting and praying for three days that Ananias told him, again reference Acts 22:16, to arise and to have his sins washed away. Why were his sins still there if he was forgiven on the road to Damascus after he showed repentance and, uh, through what he did the following three days? Uh, answer that. Answer that question. I, I don't know how he, I don't know how they can answer that, Jason. Uh, I think you're exactly right. If he's saved by faith or if he's saved by faith and praying, either way you go, Saul of Tarsus did those things and he still was in his sins. Did he still have sins? After he had done those things and did baptizing, uh, the act of baptism, wash away those sins. That's what it says. Now, we're going to have to have some help as to why that doesn't mean what it says. You know, I once studied with some young men who were Baptist, and I posed some of these same questions to them. When we went over some of those verses, I'll never forget the one fellow said, well, that's what it says, but that's not what it means. <laughs> Well, no, I, I, we can't. We, we can't. Honest. We can't do much if that's if that's the answer. But we do want an answer on that question. Thank you, Jason. 
And then Aaron, who sent in some questions, sent in a good question earlier, has sent in two more, Jacob. Um, in Luke, here's here's another one. Luke eight thirteen, in the parable of the sower, Jesus says that the rocky ground represents some who, for a while, believe and in time of temptation fall away. Does this mean that they were believers who weren't saved, or that they were saved people who fell away? Because it would have to be one of the other, one or the other, right? It says, it says they believed for a while and in time of temptation fell away. That's uh, you got Luke eight thirteen there. I don't. I'll get it. Go ahead. Luke uh, eight. Luke, uh, Luke eight thirteen. In yes. the parable of the sower. All right. Some who verse thirteen eight thirteen. Luke eight thirteen says. Um, they on the rock are they which, when they hear, receive the word with joy. So they're happy they to hear it. it. They, they, receive it. they receive the word, and these have no root, for which for a while believe, and in time of temptation fall away. So would people who receive the word, gladly receive the word and believe, would they be saved by the by the doctrine of salvation by faith only? You would think they would be, right? They, they have to be, wouldn't they, it, if they believe? I mean, that's, yeah. what it, that's, that's, all, that's all it takes to be saved is believe. yeah. yeah. And then it says in time of temptation, they fall away. So Aaron's question is, does this mean they were believers who weren't saved or were they saved people who fell away? It's got to be one or the other, right? And either way it goes, it contradicts the doctrines of David Martin and the, ba- and the Baptist Church. Okay, good question. Good question. You know, we also would also have to believe that there are some devils who are saved in hell. Where it says in James, in James chapter two verse nineteen, Thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. There's faith there on the part of the devils, isn't it? They believe and they tremble. Uh, they have faith, but uh, we see what it does for them. All right, we, we're getting quite a bit of traffic there uh, in the in the chat room, Jacob and. And I'm not sure how that's going, but I see a a note from one called Brother Rick who cites James 2.17, even so faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. Uh, Faith without works is dead. Uh, And in that same passage in James chapter 2, in verse 24, James says, you see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. We've made the point before, but I think it's always worth repeating, Jacob, that the only place in the New Testament where the words faith only are, are found together, faith and only, faith only, the only place in the whole New Testament where it's found is in James 2.24, and it says, you see that how, how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Uh, those who believe in salvation by faith only are really plagued by James, the book of James, especially the second chapter of the book of James, it is so hard on their doctrine. It, it, it poses them so so much difficulty that they can't explain it. That what some have done, going all the way back to Martin Luther, Martin Luther is quoted as having said that the book of James, and his now this is an old English kind of expression, he says it's a right strawy epistle. And what he meant by that is the other parts of the Bible are like silver and gold, but James is like straw. And what he was saying is it is not of the same caliber and implication is it doesn't belong in the Bible. And the reason why he had to say that is he couldn't make it harmonize with his doctrine. It doesn't belong in his doctrine, but it does belong in the Scriptures. Exactly right. All right. Exactly right. All right. 877-381-4567. We've got about uh, eight minutes to go. Plenty of time to take your call if you'd like to join in on the program via the phone tonight. Give us a call. Just give us a call and let us know you're out there or send us your emails. We'd love to hear from you. We've got an email. Another question from Aaron. Aaron's been working on this, and he's got some tough questions for our Baptist preacher. 
here's another question. In Romans 10, 9 and 10, Paul says that confession with the mouth is, quote, unto salvation. Does oral confession of faith come before, unto, or after, because of salvation? Does it come before or after the point that one believes? If it comes between, does that mean salvation does not occur at the point of faith? Later in the chapter, in verses 13 and 14, Paul says that one must call upon the name of the Lord to be saved, but says that one cannot call unless he first believes. What is calling on the name of the Lord? Is it something that one must do before he is saved? Doesn't Paul say here that one is saved after he believes rather than when he believes? So two questions from Romans chapter 10 that Aaron poses here. If confession is unto salvation, but you have to believe before you confess, then wouldn't that prove that salvation is not simply by faith only, does not happen at the point of belief? If you have to confess, I'd ask also, isn't that a condition? You know, confession, if you wanted to argue it, I think you could argue that confession is a work. Because when you say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you have to actually expend calories in order to to speak that phrase. Not much, but some. You have to put forth some work. Rather than just relaxing and allowing someone to baptize you, you actually have to exert the muscular uh, energy there. Yeah. So, I mean, if, if you believe that you must make that confession of faith, then then obviously salvation isn't at the point of faith. And furthermore, you acknowledge a condition and and uh, that requires work. Uh, that And that goes against all that they claim to believe. But then also, uh, the second question that Aaron poses from Romans 10, 13, and 14 is when Paul says that to be saved, you have to call on the name of the Lord, uh, but you have to believe before you can call on the name of the Lord. Again, what is calling on the name of the Lord? Is it something that one must do before he is saved? And doesn't Paul say here then that one is saved after he believes rather than when he believes? I think those are good questions, uh, and, and we would pose them to the Baptist preacher uh, concerning his doctrine of salvation by faith. Thank you, Aaron, for those good questions. All right, we've got a few more minutes. We got time. If you want to get a question in, we're going to send these. Get, we're going to get these programs, the archives of these two programs, off to David Martin right away. So, if you'd like to put a question to him, we invite you to j- jump in here real quick. We've just got a couple more minutes left. Um, I want to go back, Jacob, to revisit that question of once saved, always saved. Okay. And I want to just read you a list of, of some things. Uh, the, the the idea that a child of God can never so sin as to be lost is just absolutely false, and the Bible plainly teaches it's false. Notice some things the Bible says that can happen to a child of God. In Hebrews twelve fifteen, it says he can fail of the grace of God and fall away from it. Galatians chapter five verse four. So he can fail of the grace of God. Hebrews twelve fifteen, and he can fall away from the grace of God. Galatians Before 5, you go 4. any further, we need to emphasize that the con- you're not ripping these out of context. These were addressed to Christians. Everyone that you're going to mention here is addressed to those who have been saved. Exactly right. The context bears that out. First Corinthians eight eleven says that a Christian can perish. John fifteen verse six, Jesus said that you can be cut off as a branch and burned. You can be destroyed by heresy. You can experience loss of faith. Second Peter two verse one, Jude verse five. You can receive a punishment that's worse than death. Hebrews ten twenty eight and twenty nine. You can come short of the promise of eternal life. Hebrews four verse one. You can so live as to have received God's saving grace in vain. Second Corinthians chapter six and verse one. And you can perish and end up in perdition. 
John 17 and verse 12. That's just a partial list, but that's just a number of things that can happen to a Christian. Did you reference 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, where no. Paul was even uh, on guard lest he should be a castaway? Paul, obviously a Christian, and he kept his body under subjection so that he would not be a castaway. All right. Just last evening in a Bible study here at College View, we were studying 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5. Paul said, When I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. Paul had been the one who planted the church in Thessalonica. He'd been away, and he hadn't been away real long, but he sent Timothy back there to find out how they were doing, because he said the tempter could have tempted them, and his labor be in vain. Wouldn't that teach that he was afraid they could fall away and be lost? Absolutely. Second uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 20, talks about people who have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge and of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They had escaped through the knowledge, obviously had faith there. David Martin would say that they were saved. They are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. Again, showing uh, that someone can be saved and then sin in such a way to be lost they can fall away all right uh, in the chat room uh anthony says faith produces obedience which are the works james is talking about in james chapter 2 there's some discussion there about james chapter 2 uh, uh, and there's also some discussion in the chat room about the thief on the cross we mentioned that last week the thief on the cross question often comes up jacob jesus was alive his, no his will, his testimony had not gone into effect yet. He was still alive. While he was alive, he blessed many people. He forgave the sins of many people. He had not yet given the instruction that he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Right. That was after. After his resurrection. Yeah. So uh, the thief in the cross, is, his case is not identical to ours. I believe he was saved. I believe Jesus saved him. Jesus forgave the sins of lots of people while he was on earth. We could reference a number of people where he said, thy sins be forgiven thee. The, the thief on the cross was one of them. But after Jesus died, if we want salvation, we have to meet the terms of his will and testament, the gospel of Jesus Christ. David Martin would even agree that he cannot be saved like the thief on the cross because David Martin believes that he has to believe that Jesus died, was buried, and was resurrected. The thief on the cross did not believe that. and therefore, Because it hadn't happened yet. David Martin cannot be saved like the thief on the cross. Things have changed since the thief on the cross was saved. That's right. All right. Well, we want to, again, uh, ask David Martin very kindly. Uh, to consider uh, being a part of the program next week, Dad. Uh, we'll pose these questions to him. And if, it, if he can't do it next week, we're open any time. We'd exactly. love to have a discussion with him, and we'll, we'll keep it an honest and a civil discussion. We'll be very kind and loving, and uh, we won't get ugly. And uh, we would encourage David to take us up on our invitation. All right. Good deal. Thank you for your comments. Thanks, Dad. Jacob. And thank you for being a part of the program. We hope you benefited from our discussion tonight, and we make, would hope that you would make plans to be back here next week for another edition of the virtual Bible study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College 
College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.